All right, well, we are in the book of Second Peter, and uh, this morning we are going to uh, be finishing up chapter 1, and uh, I just want to review uh, for a moment, in a nutshell, what chapter 1 has uh, said so far, all right? And uh, I've just kind of paraphrased in a, a brief paragraph. Peter is telling us that uh, we are people who have every resource available to live and be empowered by hope of the Lord's return. You can live lives of love regardless of the darkness because the morning will come. And living this way will confirm your election. So in, a, in essence, that's what Peter has told us in, in chapter 1. Peter's about to, um, uh, to die. He knows that his life is very, very short, and uh, very shortly he's going to be crucified. But he is concerned about these first century Christians and them continuing to pursue their relationship with Christ. And and these are first-generation Christians, okay? These aren't people who have uh, grown up in the life of the church. No, these are, these are recent converts. And Peter is writing this way because these truths are so important. And just as he's written to, the, to them, so has he written to us. These words apply to us today. Now, Peter mentions a lamp in verse 19. Let me read verse uh, 19 quickly. Verse 19 says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Look at verse 4 for a moment, because uh, this lamp also pertains to verse 4. Verse 4 says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What's the lamp? What's the promises? Church, it's the word of God. And it's, as we grow in this knowledge, Peter has told the first century Christians that you're going to have peace. You're going to have life. You're going to have hope because of what God's word has told us. It is a lamp. It is to help us to escape the corruption of this world. This morning we're going to look at verses 20 and 21, but those verses are tied in to these, uh, these other verses of what God's word is, is all about. It's a lamp. It's his promises. And let me just read verses 20 and 21 as we finish up this chapter this morning. Knowing this first of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The lamp is the Word of God, church. And this morning, I want us um, to look more topically uh, at verses 20 and 21, because we know it's the Word of God. The Bible is imperative. The Bible is critical to our maturity as believers. And so this morning, I want to look at what the Bible has to say about itself. Because, church, we need to understand that the, the Bible is under attack this morning. In this day and age, uh, in this post, post-modern world, people don't want to have anything to do with truth. You know, life works according to their reality. There is no objective truth. And that is totally contrary to the Word of God. And church, we need to understand this, and we need to be standing on the promises. We need to know what the Bible says, that the Bible is the book for me. Didn't we learn that as children growing up? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, L-E, the B-I-B-L-E. Are our kids singing that in our preschool classes? Huh? In in, in Sunday school? You know what? Teachers? Uh, Jessica, I think Jessica's sick this morning, but uh, Jessica, we need to be singing that song to our preschoolers and to our children. I mean, this is the foundation of a believer's life. And we have got to get back to the basics, and we need to stay on the basics. Because God's Word never changes. And so this morning I want to look at what the Bible says about itself. Because we live in a culture that has stopped reading it, has stopped believing it, and is flat out rebelling against it. And the reason why they don't want to have anything to do with it because they believe it is an oppressive book. It doesn't affirm their sin. It calls out their sin. And so they want to ignore it. But I want you to know this morning, when it calls out our sin, it's speaking to all of us. Not speak, speaking to a particular oppressed group. It is speaking to all of us. We are all sinners and have fallen short of God's glory. And we need His grace and we need His forgiveness. And the Bible is the only document that tells us how to not be enemies of God, to find reconciliation with Him and with one another. And so this morning, we're going to look at the Bible. 
Testament, why it's the book for me and you. Number one, because the Bible is authoritative. God's words are authoritative. Where do we get that? We get that right in the very first verse of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke creation into existence. God was there before there was a creation, before there was a time. And the Bible says that through God's voice, creation happened. That is authority. When God says it, it happens. God said this, and it was done. God said that, was, and it was done. God's word is authoritative. God called Abraham out of a pagan land and go to a, to a land, Abraham, that I will show you. We see God's authority over dynamic events in the Bible, over the exodus, through the exile, and back to the return of God's people. Jesus in the New Testament said, Matthew chapter 28, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. Jesus' words are authoritative. And then Jesus breathed into the disciples, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And God illuminated their hearts and their mind to continue to help us understand through the letters of the New Testament who this Jesus is. And they're foundational to the church today. God's word is authoritative. Look what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses uh, 1 through 5. And I'll read this on the screen because it's uh, written in NIV. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage. That sounds authoritative to me, doesn't it? With great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them great, a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their eyes away from the truth, turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy, we need the word of God because it rebukes when we need rebuking. It corrects. It instructs. Church, it is authoritative. So that's the first thing we know about God's word. Second, According to verse 16, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 16. Peter says it's not cleverly devised myths. 
he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We live in a world today that wants to try to convince us that this is just, God's word is just man's opinion. It can be explained away naturally. It's just, uh, it's just matter. It's just material matter. It's not, there's nothing sacred or special about it. Man just, you know, it's no different than Greek mythology. And Peter's telling us this is not cleverly devised myths. Verse 20. It's not according to someone's interpretation. It's not according to the prophet's interpretations. Well, this is what the prophet thought about what God, God was saying to them. No, this is God's voice. It's not their interpretation of God's words. And then in verse 21, Peter says, These are divinely inspired words. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, verse 21, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, Jude, Moses, the prophets, the minor prophets, They didn't all just wake up one day and decide, you know what, I think I'm just, I feel like I'm going to write some Bible today. I want to do that. I want to tell somebody what I think. No. The Bible says all these men were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The, The Holy Spirit was moving among them and in them to record these words. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit did it, but he used every writer's own personality to record the things that God was conveying to them. But it all points to one person. Over 1,500 years of different authors and and writers, they're all talking about the same person. Jesus Christ, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, church, it's all about Jesus. And each and every person, Peter says, they were divinely inspired. We can't be reading this book like any other history book. There's nothing natural about it. This book is supernatural. They were moved by God to write in their own personality the things that we have recorded. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. 
I'm going to read from the screen these verses. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Are we stuck? I have, I have too many verses this morning, so I will read uh, from my text. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That's an understatement. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Turn there. Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, of, Even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, of this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of believers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so, church, God has given us his word. It's the inspired, uh, inerrant Word of God. And if you are a child of God, if you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, guess what? The, the Spirit has opened your eyes to understand truth. Now, sometimes it's a challenge, and sometimes you need to, uh, you know, we, we all need to be in Bible study, and we all need to be uh, just encouraging one another to uh, make sure that we're getting the right interpretation of the Word of God says. But we have the ability to know this book. We have, Peter said, we have all the resources that we need in Christ. Okay? We have everything um, because our lives 
are in Christ, and Christ is in us. But those who are outside a relationship with God, those who don't know God, Paul is very clear. This book cannot be understood. It can only be understood spiritually. I like what Dallas Willard, he was a former professor at uh, the University of Southern California. He died in 2013, but uh, he was a philosopher at that, that school. And this is what he said, very strong Christian. He said, people who believe in the virgin birth do not get points for believing in the virgin birth. They live in a different world, a world where virgin births occur. Is a different is a different world from one in which they don't. A world where Jesus Christ rises from the dead. A world where we have a reliable word from God in the Scriptures. This is a different. This is different uh, from a world where these things aren't true. And when we believe in the true world, we gain the riches and realities that God has provided. When we don't believe we live in that world, we are simply restricted to what we can work out on our own. Again, church, God's word is a supernatural book. And it is meant to be understood supernaturally. That means you've got to believe in a ghost. A holy ghost. Who can instruct you in the word of God. Who can help you make sense of this book. What's this world that that, uh, Dr. Willard is talking about? This world is the kingdom of light. Because as Christians, you know what? We've been transferred. When we came into a relationship with Jesus, we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Do I have this verse on the screen? Colossians 1, 13? I don't think so. Let me uh, turn to Colossians. Colossians 1, 13 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. You can also look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But we've gone from darkness to light. And when we're in the light, God's Holy Spirit shines his life, his understanding on the things that we are reading. And so this is a supernatural book. It has been inspired by the living God for certain men to record that have been handed down to us. Another thing that God's word says about itself is that it makes us wise for salvation through Christ. Look at Second Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen. Second Timothy chapter three. Paul's writing to Timothy. 
reminding Timothy of his childhood, says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. These words make us wise. It helps us to see our sinfulness, our separateness from God, in that only through Christ can we be be set free, can our sin be forgiven. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it, is, as it actually is, the word of God, which is, which is indeed at work in you, believe so church if God is going to speak to us and this is the way he speaks to us he speaks to us through his written word it's not about any other extra experiential thing we have the complete inspired word of God and if you want to know God's will for your life You need to get in the book because this is how we hear God's voice. This is God's voice. And you and I have to humbly submit ourselves to his authority, to his voice. So it makes us wise for salvation. Next. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and righteousness. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. We've looked at that already. Next, God's words are true. Every word is true. Look at John chapter 8, verse 37. The reason I was born, this is talking about Jesus, this is Jesus' words, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me because Jesus is true. Psalm 33, verse 4, the word of the Lord is right and it is true. There's a lot of fake news out there today. We don't know what to believe, and we don't know what not to believe. We live in a very confusing generation. You know what? There's a lot of theologians today that we're not sure if they're speaking the truth or not. They sound very intelligent. They sound very... Uh, spiritual, they sound very uh, authoritative. Boy, they can, they can, uh, uh, their words are like butter. And they can sound very convincing. For some of these folks, you've got to get beneath the surface. You need to understand some other things that they believe 
and are incorporating to their theology because if you if you swallow it hook line and sinker guys you're going to be in in trouble down the road now um you've heard me talk a little bit about what's happening in our convention i mean to bring this up this morning but uh we all need to be aware of what some people are teaching in our seminaries. And there's a video out, and I've been, we've, our life group has gone through it, and I'm taking the senior adults through it right now. Uh, the rest of the life groups need to go through it. We all need to watch this video, church. Because there are some things going on in our convention that aren't right. If these things aren't nipped in the bub right now, Five, ten years from, from now, our denomination isn't going to be here. It's not going to be what it always has been. And we need to be informed. But when I say the word of God is true, it's the only thing we need. We don't need any other analytical tools to try to figure out the people we're trying to reach. The Bible said we're all sinners. And we're all in need of God's grace, love, and forgiveness. It's the only thing we need. God's word is true. It's, it's true historically. Hebrews chapter 6 Verse 18, it is impossible, the Bible says, for God to lie. How do we know that it's historically accurate? Well, you go by the test of good history. And one of the tests is eyewitness accounts. We have eyewitness accounts of what God has done, what Jesus has said in Scripture. People throughout the centuries, the, the, the Jewish people have taken extreme care of how the Bible is copied. Their earliest documents that uh, archaeologists have, can find of Scripture now are nearly word the word the same as later documents that we have, uh, completed documents of the New Testament. There's no change. It hasn't been altered. Archaeology proves that the Bible is historically accurate. I like what my pastor, Rob Zins, would say uh, when he talked about the Bible. He said that every time an archaeologist turns a spade, he or she buries a liberal. And that's true. All this archaeological evidence that they continue to dig up there in the Middle East, it all confirms what the Scripture says. God's words are true. God cannot lie. Next, and God's word never changes. Never changes. Psalm 148, verses 5 and 6 says, let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He has issued a decree that will never pass away. God's word doesn't change. 
when God created it, when God created order, um, anything that he has done, the Bible says he did it perfectly. It is good. It is very good. What he created doesn't have to be changed. God created the universe. God created physics. God created science. God created mathematics. He created gender, sexuality, the family, government, on and on and on. And whatever God created, it doesn't have to be changed. And he doesn't change it. Now, man wants to change it. Man wants to look at gender, and man wants to convince us that God got it wrong. And so we've got to come up with all these different labels. No, God created gender. He created it perfectly. And God's not in the business of changing anything. Because it doesn't have to be changed. It was created perfectly. And God knew all this stuff before we did. And his rules never change. Science proves that God knew what he was doing. God's science never changes. Man's science... It's constantly changing. You know, the, the third grade science books today were far different than the third grade science book when I was a third grader. Man's science is constantly changing, but not God. I like what Jonas Kepler, a mathematician and astronomer, he lived uh, approximately 500 years ago, so he's an old dude, okay? A lot of people think he's irrelevant today, but this is what he said 500 years ago. Science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. And that is so very true. The liberal science scientists today don't want to acknowledge that there's a God. And they're going to figure it out on their own. I like what Dr. Craig Mitchell said. You guys know Dr. Craig Mitchell? (laughs) Dr. Craig Mitchell said this, Science is the empirical, inductive study of God's created order. This study includes both the natural order and the social order. Because we live in a created order rather than a chaos, the world can be understood. Science is not in conflict with faith. Science reveals the righteousness of God because he made creation as an orderly system that men can understand. Amen? So God is a God of order, and he knew what he was doing right from the very beginning. If we would just pay attention to his order, God, this, guys, this world would be far better off. We would have societies, we would have governments, and we would have laws that would be consistent with his order. 
But because we don't want to believe the book, because we want to say there is no objective truth and that anything goes, we've got the chaos that we have today. And it's just getting worse and worse. And we've got to get back to the basics. Because God is the one that wrote the instructions of how this life works best. The truth, God's word, is being ignored. It's being attacked. And man is saying that it's irrelevant. It's oppressive. It's racist. It's abusive. It's anti-women. It's homophobic. And just plain dangerous. I just want to remind us this morning, church, Peter calls it a lamp. Peter calls it our light. And when we have that light, it is a lamp into our feet. It is a light into our path. And we can find our way out of a very dark and dreary world. You and I know it, need it. Our kids need it. And our grandkids need it. This world needs it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone. We stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Let's pray. Father, help us to humbly submit to your authority. Thank you. Thank you that you've opened our eyes to know this book, to know you, to believe you, to fellowship with you, to be in relationship with you. God, we need you. This world is dark. But we don't have to be afraid because you walk with us. You're there with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And today, we confess that we fear no evil. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God, help us as a church to be faithful to your word, to faithful to stand alone on your word, to be true to your word, to teach the next generation your word, to make disciples. Who will then make disciples? God, we need to do a far better job that. We thank you for truth. Giving it to us this morning. If there's one here this morning,
who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, this book wants to make you wise into salvation. And this book is telling you this morning that you need Christ. You can receive Christ by saying, Lord, I believe. I believe that you died on a cross for my sin. I admit, God, that I'm a sinner. We've all humbly admitted that we're sinners and believe that God can forgive us through Christ. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him you believe that three days later he came back from from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. My friend, the Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father today. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you can be saved. Today can be the day of your salvation. Tell him. God, I believe that there are some here in this room who have, who have crossed that threshold of faith. They've gone from darkness to the kingdom of light by your grace alone. Because, God, you help them to believe in you. Now help them, God, to live in obedience won't be easy. Help them to do the right thing according to your word. Help them to get connected to other believers in this church. A life group. Karen talked about life groups. We need to be connected to other believers in Christ to find encouragement pray with one another, to study the Word of God together. God, you don't intend for us to be spiritual orphans. You want us to be part of your family, the local church. So help the Lord to get involved. And as they read the Word, God, may the words just come alive in their hearts as they begin to understand for the very first time, Lord, who you are, how much you love them, what you've done for all of us. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship and prayer. Use it in each of our lives, in Christ's name.